As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. I love you. I love you. We say it all the time, don't we? Love you, bro. Love you, man. I love the new James Bond movie. It's pretty good. I love uh, how the Bulls are performing this season. Anybody? I love sushi. It's pretty good. I love the new Coldplay record. Most of it. And I really genuinely love most of you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But we throw this word love out all the time, don't we? How about in dating relationships for the single people in the room? I mean, how do you muster up enough courage and when is the right time to finally, with that person you're dating, you know, just with all the nerves of it, to finally say, I love you. Well, as it turns out, on average, men take 88 days from the time the relationship starts to finally say, I love you. Whereas the women who are much wiser and smarter than the men take 134 days to reciprocate that I love you when they finally say it. But we say this word love all the time. I think I could argue that it's, it's the single, if I could think of any single word in the English language that gets used more for a variety of different topics from I love that takeout we got last night for dinner to I love the creator of the universe that we get this word that's just universally and broadly used. And what happens when we overuse a word like that is over time, it kind of starts to lose its punch, kind of starts to lose its meaning, kind of starts to lose its definition. I saw this bumper sticker horrible. Just don't get me going on this. I saw a bumper sticker recently and and what it said, and by the way, I can't remember the verse, but there's some verse in the Bible. um, It's something along the lines of thou shall not put dumb Christian bumper stickers on your car. I don't remember what verse, but I think it's in there. Stop it. Here's what it said. It said, God loves you. Asterisk. Some restrictions apply. That's what it said on the bumper sticker. Not only is that not true, it's just a bad bumper sticker. Take it off your car. But this love thing, this love word, I mean, what does it really mean? I'm talking genuine love, biblical mean. What is it, biblical love? What does that even mean anymore? Well, we're continuing our series today. It's called Church on the Move. And as a reminder, you are the church, the people of God. So really it's a people on the move. And we're gonna talk about how to move with love. We're going to Ephesians chapter five. If you have a Bible, grab it. Go to Ephesians chapter five or flip open your phone. We'll have it up on the screen. What does this genuine love, what does it mean about God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another? That's what Paul is going to teach us today. We're talking about five indicators of walking in love. And hey, quick quick heads up on this. I think you're going to be surprised. You're like, oh great, a love message. The holidays are coming up. This message is not going to end up in a Hallmark movie this holiday, Okay. Because Paul not only has some things he's saying about love, but some things that are going to rob us of our love. Let's dive right in. The first of the five indicators of walking in love is this. When we walk in love, we resemble God. We look like God. 
of verse one. Ephesians chapter five, verse one. Let's dive into the text. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now it starts with, therefore, be imitators of God. Therefore, he's referring back to chapter four that we studied the last couple weeks. The topic of chapter four in Ephesians was all about unity, if you remember, in the church, if you've been tracking with us in this series, going verse by verse through Ephesians. It was all about how do we maintain unity in the body of Christ? And he's saying, therefore, a continuation of it, part of this is you're going to mimic God. You're going to be imitators of God. I mean, honestly, in some ways, I, I think Paul could have just stopped right here because this, this is the header, this is the banner over everything else he's, he's about to say. So we could have just flipped in our Bibles and we get to Ephesians chapter five and we're like, huh, one verse in there. Be imitators of God. That's what this is all about. Everything that Paul is about to set up in the next 21 verses. And the imagery here of imitating, of mimicking, what are we mimicking as beloved children? We're mimicking, this is a picture of a parent and of a child. So he's saying me, God the Father, God the Father, imitate me, you children, that's you and me, brothers and sisters or sons and daughters of God. That we are the sons and daughters of God, we're supposed to be imitating him. And I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, Maybe you grew up in an amazing home where you had parents that were just incredible. I mean, they just modeled some amazing things for you. And what happens as you're a kid, right? Is there's like some osmosis almost, right? You just, you just pick it up. You begin mimicking what your parents do. And maybe they gave you some amazing traits that you have in your life today that you're like, man, I'm so thankful for my mom. I'm so thankful for my dad for modeling for me that area of life. Maybe you grew up in a more difficult home and you're like, honestly, man, I, I saw a lot of things that I don't want to mimic. But isn't it true in, in the reverse that we still end up as children, we still end up mimicking some behaviors and some patterns in our life. Even if they're not ideal patterns and behaviors, we kind of take them on. Our, we, kind of, we, we kind of begin to imitate those behaviors as well. Because imitating, it doesn't really discriminate. The proximity by which we're around something or someone or someone's directly relates to what we end up mimicking. This is what the picture is. It's when I'm out and I'm mowing the yard and just kind of getting everything cleaned up, right? And, and just kind of cutting the grass. And so I end up mowing the yard. And sure enough, a couple minutes later, what happens? My two-year-old ends up coming out. And all of a sudden I see him with his little plastic toy John Deere lawnmower. And what is he doing? He just starts following after me, right? And so I'm out just cutting the grass and he thinks he's helping. And he, you know, is just following after me. And he's mimicking the behavior that I'm modeling for him, right? And so I say, hey, thanks for all the help, bud. And he gives me a little smile and he goes and does something else. So that's, that's a positive thing. But, but the reverse, the negative can be true too. This is like when I'm driving in my car, and then I hear my seven-year-old from the way back seat, and I'm like, what just came out of his mouth? Where did he learn that? I mean, who is parenting these kids, for goodness sake? Oh, yeah, I, uh, I think you overheard me saying that last week. Right? We, we mimic, we imitate what we're in proximity to. And it begs the question, if we mimic, 
and we imitate what we're in proximity to, how much are we in proximity to God and to God's word because we're to be imitators of God. So to imitate God, it's this, it's our motive. It's our motive. What do you mean? Well, imitating God, we're working hard to make our life look more like Jesus. It's what drives us, what motivates us, what should motivate us. And then he says in verse two, walk in love. That's our action. It's our words. It's our behavior. It's how we put our motives into action. And it's interesting, this imitate God. It's actually not, as we mimic, it's actually not a suggestion. The way it's written in the text is actually written as a command. And so think about it. When I ask my kids at the end of dinner, go put your dishes in the sink. I'm not suggesting they do that. Go do it. And so Paul's actually very, very clear. This is a command. Go do it. Go imitate God. And then we see at the end of verse two, how, how are we going to do this? Well, look, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for it. Paul is leading with the gospel. He's saying, why and how would we imitate God? Well, as Christ loved us, he's saying, hey, hey, as you look at the greatest expression of love that ever existed, Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying for you, taking all your sins upon him, and as he has showered that love upon you, now you go walk in that love. And so this is the calling that Paul is setting up. I like how Jen Wilkins says it as we're talking about imitating God. She says it like this. We must make a study of our God, what he loves, what he hates, how he speaks and acts. We cannot imitate a God whose features and habits we have not learned. We've never learned. We must make a study of him if we want to become like him. We're talking about how we walk in love. Here's a second indicator. When we walk in love, we radiate holiness. Now buckle up. Uh, Paul's not messing around here. Here's where he goes. Verse three. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as are proper among saints. That's you and me. We're the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Interesting. We'll come back to that. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Man, you heard walk in love message. I thought this was going to be like all rainbows and unicorns here this morning. Paul's really laying it on thick. This is a time where you're like, can we just be one of those churches where we just preach on a topic we like or something rather than going verse by verse right through it? Can we skip over some of it? No. Because Paul's got some things we need to learn. This sexual immorality, filthy talk, idolatry, disobedience. I mean, what do these have anything to do with love, Paul? What he's describing is the things that are going to squelch love. The things that are going to turn the volume down on love the things that are going to ultimately eliminate the love of God in your life. And it's interesting that he says, he says gratitude and thanksgiving. But it's for that same reason I just said that, that it's actually the antidote to sinfulness. How is gratitude and thanksgiving the, the antidote to sinfulness? Because in the gratitude of recognizing what Jesus has done for you, the love that he extended to you, 
When we live and we operate out of that, we operate out of a sense of thanksgiving and gratitude. I cannot believe that God loved me so much that he would die on my behalf. It makes me not want to engage in the things that Paul's talking about. He's contrasting sin and love. Let's break them down real quick. Sexual immorality. The root of this word is actually where we get the word pornography or pornographic. It all actually re- uh, represents all sexual immorality. But what's Paul doing? Why is he talking about this in the context of love? Well, he's promoting love and sexuality reserved for marriage. See, sex is an amazing gift, but it gets distorted oh, when it's outside of how God intended it to be. I don't know about you, but I don't know in the world today, we've solved this one yet. I was hoping maybe, you know, 20 centuries later, maybe, we, maybe we've solved a few. Man, look at the problems those guys got. But at least we got a few of them, right? I think we're still working on that one. What about the next one? Covetousness. This is a consuming desire to have more and more and more regardless of what I actually need. I just want more. You think that's a problem in America today? I think we're still working on that one too. How about filthiness and and foolish talk? Now, just to be clear, Paul's not saying not to laugh and joke around and have fun. He's not saying that. He's not saying everybody be serious all the time. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about filthiness or foolish talk. I actually love these words in the original Greek. Here is actually what they mean. I'm serious. It's two words that come together as one, and it's literally moron and words. (laughs) That is what it is. So he's saying, hey, All this moronic talk coming out of your mouth. Just zip it up. But the good news is, I feel like this is the one that we've gotten right. Because I was on Twitter the other day, and I'll let you connect the dots on that one. What about the last one? Idolatry. It's easy to look at this one and go, I mean, when I think of idolatry, I kind of think about, did they build some golden calf or do they bow down to some you know, painting of a, of a saint or something like that? Idolatry is simply anything that we place above God in our life. That's it. That's all it means. That we idolize anything that comes in first place over God. And man, at first reading here, you might be like, wow, I mean, he's up a little here, Steve. I mean, I, I get that this is you know, for them, but... I don't think I'm a a sexually immoral, covetous, filthy adulterer. Welcome to church this morning. But what if I said it like this? In the journey to walking in love, I'm struggling with what I watch and what I listen to and an overwhelming desire to probably acquire more than I would never need in this world and at times carelessly using words and struggling to keep God as the highest and greatest priority in my life. Guilty. And we all are. Because what happens is when we get involved, yeah, heavy message today, and we kind of get sucked into these things, what they're doing is, is they're robbing our ability to walk in love. They're tainting our ability. They're distorting our ability to walk in love. Here's a good test to ask yourself when we're talking about walking in love. Two indications. Two indications of a person's character are what makes them laugh and what makes them weep. I mean, just think about that. What are the jokes that really get you going, if you're honest? What makes you weep? 
Oh man, market's down. His investments aren't doing too good. Or, man, that friend, that family member that, God, I just desperately want them to know the Lord. Or, God, I'm just so tired of my own sin. I just, I did it again. I messed up again. What do we laugh over? What do we weep over? So there's a call to action here. Paul's call to action is that we would radiate holiness. It might be it's like holiness. I mean, if that's the bar, I don't know if I'm going to hit that bar. And you're right. In your own strength, you will not. And neither will I. But this idea of holiness is just this idea of being set apart. Paul's saying when you radiate holiness, your life should look so much different than the rest of the world around you. That as you walk in love, the characteristics of your life and, and how you behave and what you do, it, it's going to look totally different. That you're, you're set apart. And as we imitate him in conduct and in speech, our lives are, they're different. Let me slow down, hard pill to swallow. Get ready to gulp. Let me just say it gently like this. Is it possible that some of us claim Christ, but then we do very little to imitate Christ? Is it possible that some of us claim, oh yeah, I'm claiming Jesus, but then when it comes to the hard work of trying to imitate Jesus and look like Jesus, then man, we got some work to do. And I just want to be sensitive and I want to remind us that holiness does not mean that we do not sin doesn't mean that. Holiness is what we do when we do sin. How do we respond to that? How do we bring that to God? And Lord, would you forgive me? And I, Lord, would you help me find victory? And I mean, maybe you're in a place right now where you're like, man, I, gotta be, I don't want to be there, but there's just this area of my life I just can't get victory over it. You're not alone if that's you. Let me share in a scripture to encourage you if you're in that place today. 1 Corinthians 10 says it like this, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also, I love this, provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hey, let's be honest. Sin, it's not the most popular word in our culture. Can we find like a softer word or something else that would... No, the Bible calls it sin and it deceives us and it enslaves us and it entraps us. And, and here's the thing about sin. It's this, it's this nasty, nasty little pest that just has its way of just, just kind of gets into the cracks of our soul, doesn't it? Even when we don't mean it, mean it to. If you've been around for any length of time, you, you've probably heard me share about uh, my wife, Sarah. She, her family has this, um, this cabin in upstate New York. So that's where we go every single summer. You're like, Steve, like 50% of your stories are from New York. I know, that's the only place we go on vacation. So those are all the stories I got, okay? And so we go, this is two years ago. We drive the 15 hours, we get up. The cabin's really remote. And so it's really tucked away, but this is our thing. This is what we do. We kind of get off the grid and we get family time. We recharge every summer. And so two years ago, we're up there. We finally get to the cabin and we start to realize like we have a problem. Like th there is a problem here. It's a, it's a mouse problem. There are like mice everywhere. And, and normally, I mean, you expect it's a middle of nowhere. You're going to have like a few critters here or there, right? But this was like crazy. 
And so we're like, what are we gonna do? So we're setting the traps every night and we get up in the morning and almost every, it's like two, three, four mice that are like in the cabin. And, and so we're, we're just going one by one, trying to get them all. Finally, my brother-in-law, his name's also Steve, he, he decides to, he puts like a tally, he puts a piece of paper on the fridge and starts tallying up how many mice that, that we have you know, caught that are just running all around. 42. There were 42 mice that we caught. And then it occurred to us, after going like one by one by one to trap, to trap, to trap, there's people called like exterminators. Like why? We should just, just call somebody. There's people that do this for a living. So finally we call the exterminator. He comes out to the house. But interestingly, he did two things. Here's what the exterminator did. The first thing is he found the source of where all the mice were coming from. Pretty good idea, right? The second thing he did was he went around the perimeter of the whole house and he filled all the cracks. And this is an old log cabin, so there's going to be gaps between the wood. All the cracks in the foundation, all the separation between the logs, and he, he sealed it. He, he, he filled it all in. And guess what? There were no more mice. Why do I share that? Because as we're talking about radiating holiness in our life, I think there's going to be some time, times in our life when we need some extermination to take place in our souls, in our lives. And think about it, just like that, uh, the first thing is we need to find the source of why this sin keeps creeping in. Now, we know the answer, it's original sin, that we live in a fallen world and there's always sin. I, I get that, but I think we need to go a step deeper into what is happening in the depths of my soul that I find it so temporarily comforting or I just dabble in this area of sin. Maybe it's some things from my past or some trauma or some issues. Maybe some difficulties I'm wrestling through here. And for whatever reason, I just let like these little mice creep in through the cracks in the foundation. But then that, that second thing, filling that foundation and, and clean it. Well, how do I do that? What do I fill it with? Well, Paul tells us later to be filled with the power of the spirit. We fill the cracks in the foundation of our life with the power of the Spirit that we would move forward in him. Walking in love, being set apart, imitating God, it's gonna mean an assessment. An assessment on the foundation of your life to identify the cracks in your own foundation. Here's a third indicator. When we walk in love, we reflect the light. By reflecting the light, what Paul is saying is how, how, we're, how our witness is to the world around us. So over here, radiating holiness, this is about my sanctification, my growth in the Lord, reflecting the light. This is about my witness to the world around me. Verse seven. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Good news. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that's good and right and true. Love that. We'll come back to that. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's the shame even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I mean, let's start right here at the end. Oh, walking in love. Hey, we got to wake up first. 
Oh, we got to wake up from our nap. Coasting through life. And he's not talking about physical death here. Uh, what, what I think he's talking about is, hey, you're sleeping on the job of life. Hey, we have purpose, church. Can I just remind you and encourage you? Do you think God has a purpose for your life? He is calling for your life. He has things he wants to accomplish in you and through you. We got to wake up. And then it's interesting what happens is Paul switches metaphors. Did you see that? He went from walking in love to walking in light. And this picture of light and darkness and get out of the darkness and into the light. Walking in darkness is a disorienting thing, isn't it? Have you ever done this? Like, I'm sure you have. In the middle of the night, you wake up, it's like 3 a.m. You're like, I need a glass of water. So I'm gonna go down to the kitchen and get a glass of water and go back to bed, right? So you get out of bed, but you're like, man, it's pitch black in your house. And so you're just trying to walk and inevitably you're gonna trip over a shoe at the front door or you know, you're gonna you know, stub your toe on the bed while you're trying to get back in. Why? Because darkness, it's disorienting. But then maybe you've had this experience too. Have you ever had this experience where maybe there's just a small little nightlight at the end of your light? Maybe you keep it on your hallway or something like that. Just like a little tiny four watt light bulb. And this little tiny light, when you step into the hallway, what happens? When it's not pure darkness, have you had this experience? All of a sudden your eyes, they start to kind of, they adjust and they start to kind of come into focus. And even in the darkness, you can start to kind of see more clearly. And it's an amazing picture because when we're talking about the spiritual light and the spiritual darkness, I'm here to tell you today, all it takes is just, this is how powerful the light of God is. All it takes is just a little bit of light to begin to expose the darkness and to begin to to see clearly the smallest amount of illumination and you're going to have a totally different experience. It's the power of God to permeate the darkness. That's what the light is. Verse nine, now Paul, I said I'd get back to this. Verse nine, Paul has this interesting phrase, the good, the right, and the true for the fruit of light is, the, is found in those three things, the good, the right, the true. Let me unpack it like this. Walking in the light produces the good. So when we said, hey, hey, we're to walk in love and walk in the light, our actions, love and action, that's what produces the good, what we do, how we behave. The right is our righteous character. That's who we are, the, the character of who, what makes up how we make decisions and who we are and the true conformity to the word and the will of God. And that all of these things please the Lord. And so if we want to walk in the light, it's in the good, it's in the right, and it's in the true. And then it says in verse 11, expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Well, how? How do we expose the unfruitful works of darkness? Well, we get up on a soapbox and we start screaming at people. Actually, we've been doing that for a few centuries. It doesn't actually work that well. I think we should find a different way of exposing the darkness than just getting red-faced and getting in an argument with somebody. How does Jesus do it? Through relationship, through conversation, through difficult, hard, honest dialogue. I love the time that the religious leaders bring a woman to Jesus and he, the woman was caught in adultery. The, the plan uh, uh, and punishment of what would take place for a woman caught in adultery was she'd be stoned to death. 
So these religious leaders, they come and Jesus, look what this woman did. And she sinned, she's caught in adultery. And what does Jesus do? He goes, hey guys. Um, so whichever one of you hasn't sinned, go ahead, throw the first stone. What's he doing? He's, he's turning it back on these religious leaders and he's going, you gotta, you gotta get some conviction in your own soul before you're condemning her. You gotta look at your own sin before you're telling what should happen with her. So they drop the rocks and then Jesus turns to her and says, I have no condemnation for you, but go and sin no more. You know, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. They're two different things. Condemnation is not of God. Condemnation is declaring you are guilty and you are sentenced to punishment. Well, how do you know there's, the condemnation is not of God? Romans 8.1 says, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean there's not conviction. Conviction is of God. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit to help us turn from our propensity to choose darkness over light. It's the still small voice of God. It's the Holy Spirit whispering into your life, convicting you going, I gotta make a change. I gotta stop doing this. I gotta turn to Jesus in this. And we begin reflecting the light, flipping on the, the light switch, so to speak, to see more clearly. It's what verse 13 says. And when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Yeah, it's like kind of obvious, Paul. Like, hey, when the light's on, you can see it. I feel like you should have added another verse. It was like, and when the light's off, it's hard to see. <laughs> but what, what is Paul saying? Anything that's exposed by the light. I was in Atlanta this past week um, with a group of 150 church planters that are getting ready to plant uh, new churches all around North America this year. Is that not awesome? Gospel preaching, Bible proclaiming, growing in community with one another, churches. Six of those pastors that were down there are pastors that have been going through our training with High Point Send, and we've been sending out here in Chicago and around the, the country. But what happened when I got to the airport? We're talking about exposing what the light exposes. Well, what always happens to the airport? I get to go check in, and then I have to go through TSA, right? I have to get screened. So I take my bag, I put it in the thing, I shove it through the little, whatever that thing is, x-ray, and then I go, and I have to walk through the metal detector, and I mean, why do, they, why do they do that? Well, for obvious reasons, so that anything that could harm others would become detected, right? They're looking to detect some things deep inside that bag. What's in that bag? I can't see it right now. That's what's meant by anything that's exposed by the light. It's almost like I wish that our life and our, our soul and our conduct, we could just ball ourselves up and get inside one of those little TSA trays, right? <laughs> and just like pass us through. Wouldn't that be a great machine? A machine that could look into your soul and convict you of some things? If you invent that, let me know. What, what, why? What would that machine do? it would make visible anything that's lurking beneath the surface of our life. And that's what the light exposes. Two more. Another indicator, when we walk in love, we reprioritize our time. Let's go to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Now, Paul says almost the exact same thing in Colossians 4. So I know this is important to Paul, but he says it like this. Look carefully how you walk, but he goes, uh, so as not to stumble. So it's a caution flag. It's a warning light on the dashboard. And then my favorite verse, verse 16, make the best use of your time. It's my favorite verse of this passage that we're studying today. I like the translation that says, make the most of every opportunity, is what it says. Here's what Paul's saying. Hey, your time on this earth is short. Your days are numbered. What are you doing with your time? How are you maximizing the time that God has given you? To build a life that would honor God. And, and then why wouldn't we waste it? What, what's he getting at? Well, he, he, he answers it. The days are evil. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It's what theologians would call the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. What's the now? Well, the now is the kingdom of God has been established on earth. We live within the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was established on earth when Jesus came to earth and he set up his kingdom. That's the now. What's the not yet? The not yet is Jesus will return to earth. There will be a day when Jesus returns to earth and he abolishes all evil that exists in the world. So simply put, the now and the not yet is, yes, we live in the kingdom of God, yet evil still exists in the world. We are living in a remarkable period of time where we get to hold the truths because we know and Jesus has come and who he is. And yet Jesus has yet to return. Are you maximizing your life for gospel impact? We are called to radiate holiness and reflect light. Yeah, but it's like really hard. I know. It's a high calling. We are called to radiate holiness and reflect light. Yeah, but what is that coworker going to think about me and... If I start sharing my faith and things can get out, called to radiate holiness and reflect light. Yeah, but playing Call of Duty is like way more fun in my mom's basement. What are you doing to maximize your life for the kingdom as we walk in love and walk in light? I like how Rick Warren says it. The best use of life is love. The best expression of love is time. The best time to love is now. Let's end with this. When we walk in love, we resonate with worship. Yes, awesome. That was a lot of heavy stuff. Let's get to the worship part, the Jesus stuff, the excellent. Uh-oh, verse 18, did you read ahead? Here we go. And don't get drunk on wine. He's still going, man. Paul, he's got it out for these guys. For this is debauchery. Debauchery is just any extreme overindulgence. That's all that word means but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hey, real quick, what's the, why did you feel the need to end on this drunkenness thing and all this sexual immorality? Well, what you might not know is when he was writing this to the church of Ephesus, it would have been a popular pagan ritual, a pagan worship ritual, where in their times of worship, not in the church, but in another ritual, where they would actually get drunk and have sex, and this was part of their worship of this pagan god. And this was taking place in Ephesus. And so that's why he's saying, hey, hey, be careful. I know you see what's going on down the road. Don't get sucked into that. It's back to the light and the darkness. 
You're like, yeah, I mean, wow, those people are messed up. Like, at least that doesn't happen today. Been to like a university campus anytime recently? Hey, college students, there's another God on your college campus with you. It's a God of let's get drunk and hook up. And that's what was taking place in Ephesus. And it's still what's taking place today. And so what Paul's doing, what's the summary of all this? Paul is taking out a big floodlight and he's pointing it at the darkness and he's turning it on to expose the darkness and say, church, let's walk in love and let's walk in the light. Let's stand together as we close our time. Remember, we imitate God. That's our motive. That's what drives us is to imitate God. We walk in love. That's our actions. What we do, how we talk, how we behave. And how do we do that? How do we have this, this motivation and this action? Well, by being filled with the Spirit. As we close, some of you in this room might be realizing, if you're honest, you're like, man, I, I gotta be honest, like my life looks a little more like the church in Ephesus than I like to admit. If I'm really honest with myself, I'm just over here dabbling in the darkness a little bit. And I don't know what it is about me that I just kind of keep getting sucked back in. If that's you, I just want to say, what, 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 what other time than this would there be to say, God, I just would you, would you guide me and lead me back to a place where I'm walking in the ways that you would have for me? Others of you have maybe, man, you're like, I was on the road of love and on the road of the light. But for whatever reason, I just got knocked off my game and I'm making some decisions I shouldn't make. And frankly, if we're honest, for all of us, there are areas of our life where we need to receive again from God today. And can I remind you again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I'll end with this. The first step to imitate the love of God is to receive the love of God. The first step to imitate the love of God in your life is to receive the love of God into your life. God, we call out and we pray and we ask, Lord. We desperately in our hearts, we wanna look more like Jesus. And for whatever reason, Lord, all of us in this room, my, myself included, we just, we have this propensity, Lord. When we're given the options of light and darkness that sometimes we just, we just drift back into the darkness. And Lord, I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that maybe you would convict us, God. Not condemn us, but convict us of areas of our life where we need to stretch and grow in you. And Lord, as we, we look at this church in Ephesus, Lord, would you remind us again that the same struggles that they had are the same struggles that we have. And just like that scripture said, you are, you are faithful to provide a way of escape. But Lord, will we be faithful to follow you in that as we walk in love and as we walk in the light? Amen. Let's worship together.